Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your Creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is episode 498 for the 13th of Nissan in a regular year. So if you've ever been to a yoga class, perhaps the teacher began the session by telling the students to set an intention for their practice. This doesn't happen at every yoga class, but uh, it happens fairly often here in America. It's become like this trend that teachers will begin their class by asking everybody to set an intention. And personally, I choose a lot of times when I'm practicing yoga, those of you who've been listening to the podcast for a while know that I am a avid practitioner of yoga. I will often set an intention before my practice. So what does this mean? What does this mean? Set an intention in my practice. What are, what are us yoga teachers talking about exactly? And what is this whole idea of intention? So in terms of yoga, what it means personally for me is that, you know, let's say there's it could, it mean a few things. First of all, maybe there's a certain area of my body or a certain type of alignment that I want to focus on and I want to play, pay special attention to. Let, let's say I really feel like that my shoulders have been slouching a lot. And so I want to work on opening my shoulders more and having better posture, being more longer in the practice. So setting that intention at the beginning of the practice is going to help me be more mindful of this as I go through the practice and focus my attention in those areas. And most likely it will help, you know, intensify that, uh, that idea that, you know, that hopefully I'll actually feel a little, a little bit longer at the end of practice. It could also be an emotional thing. It could also be that, you know, yoga, the practice of yoga is a very, um, it can be a very therapeutic experience. There's like a mind body integration. Uh, there's a lot of, literature that's been written about this idea of the mind-body connection and how um, there's a there's a sensory element to yoga that can really help in dealing with with emotional things even as much as trauma and things like that so let's say if I'm going through a very anxious period then if I focus my intention on trying to calm myself center myself that too will actually help the focus of the yoga really be centered around that There's also a broader idea when it comes to intention, which many people dismiss as being kind of like new age, weird, kind of ungrounded, unfounded ideas. Um, But what we'll actually see is not the case. You know, this idea that like if if we set an intention um, in terms of like sending positive vibes to somebody, you know, across the universe or something like that, it's going to affect them. And uh, people often see this as like, is this really true? Is this really possible? Like what, what's this all about? Um, I know I'll do this like when I'm cooking, I often, you know, people say that they can kind of um, taste the energy of the cook when they eat the food. When I'm cooking, the energy of my cooking, I do, I don't know if this is my imagination or not. I do feel like that the energy that I put into the food is going to affect the taste and the flavor of the 
the food and how good the food comes out. Um, you know, people say the food is only as good as the guests. You know, there's there's all these things like this. But there's with along these lines, there was actually a really interesting study that was done in 2006 in Japan. Uh, I haven't looked into the study extensively as a disclaimer, so I don't know how accurate the study is, how uh, thorough it was, how scientifically accurate it was. But according to the internet, which we all know is always right, right? So according to the internet, um, there was this study that was done in Japan in 2006 where there was an audience of about 2,000 members and they had these, these audience participants focus their intention on water samples that were in a lab in California. So uh, somehow, I don't know how they, you know, if they, if they saw the water samples, I'm not exactly sure how it works, but they focused their intention on these specific water samples, sending positive vibes, positive intention to these water samples in a lab in California. And then there was another set of water samples that was just as a control, also in the same lab in California, and uh, which, you know, they didn't have any intentions sent to at all. And after this experiment, the water was sent to the lab in Japan and the, uh, to, uh, and, and the lab in Japan was not told which water samples had the intention and which one did not. It was, you know, so it was a double blind study. And then what they did is that they, they allowed the, uh, the water, I guess they put the water at a lower temperature and they allowed, allowed ice crystals to form in the water. And then, after a while, there was were ice crystals that formed in the water, and then they had these different. Um, they had the two different samples of water judged based on their aesthetic appeal, and the pretty much universal consensus was that the water samples that had positive intentions sent to them was more had water crystals that were more aesthetically appealing than those that didn't. So again, this is an experiment that needs to be looked into further. I don't know that much about it, um, but I know that similar experiments have been done on uh, wine, on chocolate, on plants, on crops, all kinds of different things. So there's, you know, the, it seems like there's at least, you know, this interest in the power of intention and people seem to see that there is there is some kind of truth and validity to this idea that where you set your intention, how you set your intention is going to affect that which is outside of you. So today we're going to be looking at this from a spiritual perspective, and we're going to be looking at how uh, our intention in terms of our spiritual service of God, what type of spiritual ramifications are there in terms of our intention? So we actually began this discussion uh, a few episodes ago in this is the in chapter 39 where we were discussing you know where our service ascends to if we uh, depending on the type of love and fear of god we have is it an emotionally based love and fear of god is it an intellectually based love and fear of god like uh what's what are what what is our emotional state when we're serving god but today we're actually going to focus on two other types of intentional intentionality states. Uh, the first one is going to be more of a neutral intentionality state. Like, I guess we could say it's like the control group, like um, where a person studies Torah and performs mitzvahs, but they don't really have any particular intent. They're not like, they're not feeling this love of God uh, in an intentional, in a, in, a, um, in a conscious way, whether it's that natural innate love of God or uh, in love and fear of God or that more intellectually generated love and fear of God. They're not, they're just like, they're doing what they need to do. They're going through the motions. Basically they don't have like resent feelings of resent 
resentment or negative feelings or anything like that. They're just going through the motions. They're not really, you know, thinking anything particular when they do it. Um, and then the second scenario that we're going to talk about is somebody who actually has selfish motivations when they serve Torah mitzvahs, when they're doing like, you know, when they're learning Torah and mitzvahs um, in a way that actually there's a, there's a selfish intention behind it. What could a selfish intention be? You want to get smarter. You want to tell everybody how much Torah you've learned. You're doing it in a prideful way. There's maybe a magnanimity involved in terms of you know, showing that, like a holier than thou thing of like, look how much Torah I've learned. Look how many mitzvahs I keep, things like that. Uh, and so what happens there when a person has that kind of in- intention? What what is the what are the spiritual ramifications of that? So let's get into the text and see how the altar explains uh, these two categories and what um, and what happens what the spiritual ramifications are as a result of having these kinds of intentions. Um, for context, we're beginning a new chapter today, chapter forty of Likutei Amarim, and today's chapter is really a continuation of the end of the last chapter, which was yesterday's episode. So please go back and listen to it uh, if you haven't already. But just in brief, uh, to review where we're up to so far with all of it, we've been talking about this idea of what happens if somebody does not have the most ideal intention while they are learning Torah or while they are praying, and how do we rectify this? And we talked about how there are basically, just kind of for context, there are three main different types of intention a person can have when they are engaged in holy service. The first intention is the ideal intention, which is that you're really focused on connecting with God, uniting with God, bringing God's unity to be manifest here in the world and all of that. That's like the ideal place of where we all want to be. Then second level is there is the more neutral intention, which is where we kind of just go about things in a more automatic way. Like, you know, we, we pray, we learn all these things, but it's just, it's habitual. It's just kind of out of habit. We're not necessarily paying the most attention to all the worlds, words and everything. It's just kind of neutral. It's kind of like this, we're just going through the motions. And then we have the third level, which is not good intention. It's sort of like a negative intention. This is where somebody learns or prays or whatever it is. And it's for selfish motives. It's for the sake of self-aggrandizement, making themselves be smarter or better, getting honor. So people will say like, oh, wow, look at that Torah scholar, things like that. So, and that's, that's the worst kind of thing. And we talked about how we can really, what to do with these two less than ideal levels, how they could be rectified. And we talked about how in the first level, the more neutral level, all a person really needs to do is they need to just go back and relearn or repray that part. And as long as they have the right intention the second time around, they are able to naturally redeem that prayer. And it can actually elevate those prayers or that learning up to a higher level. Because also, I yeah, I, I didn't mention this this time, that basically the problem with negative intention or neutral intention, like less than ideal intention, is it doesn't allow the learning or the prayer to rise up and to be elevated into the higher realms, which is the purpose of what we want to do. So if a person has the more neutral intention, if they go back and then they have proper intention, then they can retroactively elevate all of those things. However, if a person had a more negative kind of intention, like a more selfish intention, it's not enough for them to just go back and now okay, now, from now on, I'm going to have good intention. They actually have to do tshuva. They actually have to really do some s- sincere soul searching and really return to God in a real way, in a true like broken heart kind of way. And that is going to lead them to be able to elevate all of their past negative intentions. So now the altar of it is, go- this is where he starts off. And he says that 
okay, but what about the person who had this more neutral intention? He's focusing on that on that level right now. So somebody who had this more neutral intention, they just went about things a more habitual way or whatever. If they don't go back and now review what it is that they learned and this time review it with the proper intention in this way of lishma, like for the sake of heaven. So until a person does this, their learning does not get elevated, not even in the yud sferot, in the 10 sferot, we're going to talk about this, that shine in the worlds of yetzirah and asiya, which are the two lower worlds. So basically, like we already learned that it's it doesn't rise up. If a person does not have the right intention, it's not going to rise up to the level of bria and definitely not atzilas, which are the two higher worlds. But what about the worlds of yetzirah and asiya, which tend to be these lower worlds? So the altar Rebbe is saying that even in these worlds, the the if as so long as a person does not go back and review what it is that they learned and infuse that lishma aspect into it, that like learning for the sake of heaven aspect into it, it will not rise up to the ten spherot, the ten spheres that shine in the in the worlds of these two lower worlds of Yatira and Asiya. So why? And why are we specifying spheros specifically? Because the spheros are godliness. And within them, the light of the Ain Sof. Baruch Hu, the infinite light of God, shines really within these 10 spheres. So as we'll learn, so we're getting a little intro to this, that every world is made up of like an inner part to it and an outer part to it. So the inner aspect of every world, like what it's really, really made up of is these 10 spheres, these 10 attributes that we've been over them in the past. The, you know, there's Chochmah, Bina, Das, Chesed, Gora, Tiferet, Netach, Malchus. It's the 10 godly attributes, which we all have as well because we were created within the image of God. So these 10 attributes are... The actual makeup, like kind of like the building blocks of each world. And now here, the Altarbus cites the Tikkuni Zohar, where it says that without love and fear, the Torah cannot rise to stand before God. So again, it's this idea that that with we need this love and fear, which is this intention that we've been talking about in order for the Torah to rise. So this is, we'll see further on in Tanya, that this is why love and fear are called the wings, because love and fear is what allow a person's service to fly up, to get elevated, specifically to godliness. So now here's an interesting new idea that is that the altar brings up now, is he says that, however, in the case of this kind of neutral learning that that we've been talking about, this like learning out of habit, even though it doesn't get elevated to the level of the spheros that are within the worlds, it actually does rise up. Where does it rise up to? It rises up to the chambers. It's called the heichalos and to the medulin. It's that like the dwelling place or the abodes of these different worlds. So, and what, what is this? What, what, is, what do we mean by chambers and abodes? This is the external, the external aspects of the worlds. Through This is where the angels stand. As Rabbi Chaim Vital said in the Gate of Nevoah in chapter two, two, that Torah, that from the Torah without intention, angels are created in the world of Yetzirah. And from the mitzvahs without intention, angels are created in the world of Asiyah. And then says the altar about all angels are made up of matter and form. And he doesn't, he doesn't really elaborate on that. However, just in reading some notes on the Tanya, it's what this seems to be indicating is the idea that while 
here we're talking about this idea of somebody not having this ideal intention of lishma, of, you know, for the sake of heaven, no matter what we do, anytime we're doing any kind of mitzvah, there's going to be some kind of like some intention in it, some intentionality in what we're doing on some level, even if it's a more kind of neutral intention. And so this intention is the form of the mitzvah or the Torah versus the actual action itself is the matter of the, of the mitzvah or the Torah. So that's what creates these angels. So, okay. So that's category number one. So basically to sum up that first thing, again, when we do mitzvahs or when we study Torah with a more neutral intention, so it's not the highest ideal intention of for the sake of heaven in this high way, but it's just like kind of like by rote, it's our habit, whatever it is, that does not allow our, our Torah mitzvahs to rise up to the spheres within any of the worlds, not even the spheres of the worlds of Yitzhak and Asiya. However, it does rise up to the Hechalos and the Medorim, to the abodes, to the chambers and the abodes of these lower two worlds, the world of Yitzhira and the world of Asiya. And what this translates to mean is that it creates Malachim, it creates angels in these two worlds. And from the, the, the Torah without Kavana, this is where the angels of Yetzirah come from. And the mitzvahs without Kavana, this is where this creates the angels in Asiya. So that's category number one. Now we get into category number two, which is those people that do not have a neutral intention when they study Torah or when they serve God, but they actually have a more negative intention. So it's really not Lishma. Like It's like these people are learning in order to be a Talmud Chacham, a Torah scholar, or that type of thing, like it's for self-aggrandizement. In these cases of these kind of people, their Torah does not rise up at all, not even to the chambers or to the abodes of the holy angels, but it rather stays down here in this physical world, which is the abode of the klipos, of those husks that conceal God. And now the altar brings a footnote where he says in brackets, he says, this is like what is written in the Zohar in part three on page 31b and page 121b. Uh, and I will not attempt to say the Aramaic here, but so basically the translation is that the spoken word ascends on high and pierces the heavens and evokes what it evokes. If the word is good, a word of Torah or the like, it evokes good. See there, Voltover says, and also on page 105a, from a word of Torah, a, wor a voice is formed which rises, and also on page 168b, the voices of Torah and prayer ascend on high and pierce the heavens. So these are all proofs that the Altarb is bringing of this idea that when we have the right intention, when we do, when we study Torah and engage in Torah study for in the proper way, in a good way, then it causes this Torah study to rise up. And so too with prayer also. And then one more site. And now we go back to the regular text. And then the ultra again cites the, the Zohar here. And he says that that the Zohar explains on the Pasuk. There's, so there's a, a Pasuk here from Kohelet, chapter 1, verse 3, which says, So that literally means, What profit has a man of all his toil that he labors under the sun? And the altar says that the, the way that the, the Zohar explains this is that the Zohar says that even with the toil of Torah, if one does it for his own glory, it, it is considered as if it's like labor under the sun and there's no profit in it. And then also there's a, there's a 
there's a teaching in Psachim, in the Gemara Psachim, page 50a, which says, which literally means, happy is he who arrives here on high with his Torah study in his hand. Meaning to say, says the Alter Rabbi, this is referring to the fact that it's good for the Torah study to rise up. So he meaning, meaning that when the person ascends on high, like, after they pass away, it's good for them to have their Torah in their hand, meaning that it didn't stay down here in the physical world. So just to sum up this part, the Alter Rabbit is basically saying that it's un unlike the more neutral intention, which rises up, to, which causes the Torah and prayer to rise up to the level of the, the Hechalos, to the chambers in these different worlds. If somebody has negative intention then this actually causes this does not allow it the uh the torah to rise at all it stays down here the torah and the mitzvahs it stays here in the physical world which is definitely not the intention we we actually want to have it rise up so that's the end of the section for today and tomorrow we're going to continue with this chapter where the altar Rabbah is going to take us uh into an exploration about the different levels of illumination and the different types of illumination that the different worlds receive and perceive depending on their level. And uh, this is going to lead us eventually into an understanding of how our intention when we do the Torah and mitzvahs um, affects all of this. So stay tuned for all of that. And I'll speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast hosted by Sarit Switzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Abraham Yitzhak ben Binyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Taught project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow. And until then, have a great day.